3: Hey guys it's Kayla Candace isn't able to join us today but we are all still so directionally challenged we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s but surprise we don't and that's okay it really is okay i have a question for you what did you eat today what have you eaten so far today are you hungry do you have cravings what's your appetite like and also what goals have you set for this year because let's be honest a lot of us have set goals In regards to our health, but we want to make sure we're doing what our body needs. And that's why today we are going to sit down with Dr. Amy Shaw. She is a double board certified medical doctor and nutrition expert with training from Cornell and Harvard. She drew from her background in internal medicine, as well as her own wellness journey. And she is dedicated to practicing and helping her patients feel better and live healthier through holistic Integrative wellness. She has a book out called I'm So Effing Hungry Why We Crave What We Crave and What to Do About It. I am so excited to talk to her about it because let's be honest, we all have cravings. I kind of have a craving right now. So let's dive right into my conversation with Dr. Amy Shaw so we can take charge of our health and our cravings without feeling deprived. And I am here with Dr. Amy Shaw. I am so happy that you are here with me today to be able to have a conversation about nutrition with a double board certified medical doctor, a nutritional expert. It means a lot because, you know, it's the new year and people have a lot of thoughts about nutrition and diet and all of that. So we need some help to make sure we know what we're doing. I have so many questions. So I would love to jump right in. Can you take us back to the time when you kept hearing complaints from all your patients? They kept saying, I feel so hungry all the time, even though I just ate. My cravings are out of control. There was this overall sense that your patients were white knuckling it through yet another diet plan only to feel frustrated, uh, depleted and what effing hungry, right? So take us through this experience and what you found. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about
4: just because cravings means so much more than just food and nutrition. You know, cravings run our lives, like the things we choose to do for fun, the people we want to spend our lives with, the things we eat are all part of cravings. And so understanding where that's coming from is really, really important. And so what I thought was missing, when everyone was saying, I'm so hungry all the time, even after I eat, I tell people that's the craving cycle. That's not necessarily you need nutrients. And there's a difference between hunger and cravings.
3: Okay. So you talked to your patients about this and you realized everyone was sort of on the same plan and you decided to take charge, right? And create something. Yeah.
4: I mean, okay, so Kayla, by 2050, the numbers are out. By 2050, we're going to see an astronomical rise in depression, in heart disease, in diabetes, in cancer. And what people don't understand is we have all the technology in the world right now. We have the best doctors, the best food, the best medical care, yet we are going on this trajectory of basically disease and depression. It's very sad. And what I feel is missing is the fact that we don't understand what's going on with our brain and body, like that mind-body connection is broken. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the book. It's like, I know most of us don't get taught how you know, our body functions and how it's connected to our brain and why that can make us hungry or crave certain things and that you can change that not just by changing your mind, but also changing your gut, which I think is the most surprising part of all of
3: that. So, how do we do that? Because I have to be honest, sometimes when I read, I, I, it almost feels too good to be true, where, you know, it's just, okay, just change your mind, just change your body, just change. So, what is it? What are some things that we can put into effect into our lives right away that will help us with this? Right. So,
4: remember that your gut microbes, these little critters that live in your gut, they actually have so. Almost everything to do with your mood and cravings. So, when you keep these little creatures happy, they actually work for you and make you happy. So, if you're trying to get happier and healthier, one of the best things you can do is learn about how to improve your gut health. So, things like eating better foods, you know, foods that feed that gut bacteria, things like getting exercise, especially outdoor movement, because nature has this way of rewiring our brains, helping with cravings, with hunger, with mindset, all of it, right? So nature, exercise, food, and then there's this thing called circadian rhythms that I talk a lot about. Circadian rhythms is like our body needs to sync with the light and dark cycles of the earth. And if you do that, that's one of the easiest, like free, you know, ways. So if somebody got nothing from today and they were like just, you know, doing their dishes or working out and they didn't pay attention to anything, but if I could tell them one thing, I would say, start to get more natural light into your life because one of the easiest ways to improve your gut health, those microbes and your brain health is getting that input from natural light. And I think people don't realize how Transformative it can be, but that's why there's so much talk about like that nature walk and going outside in the morning because these are easy, actionable things that people could do to change their health right away.
3: So we can wake up, go outside in the morning for a little bit, maybe sip our tea or our coffee and just take a few moments to ourselves. I mean, what is it about the morning that makes it more significant than any other time outdoors?
4: Our bodies need to know how to switch from, you know, sleep growth repair mode to morning where you're awake, alert, you're in your best state of mind and you start your digestive process. Like everything needs to turn on. And so when you get light, that's the strongest input that, Hey, time to switch. There are direct receptors from our retina that go right to our hypothalamus where those central circadian centers are and then every single one of our cells gets a signal like hey it's time to wake up like time to do the thing so that's why you feel so much more alert and happier when you get a dose of sunshine in the morning because it's like re-syncing all the clocks in your body.
3: So it's nature's alarm for all of our cells saying hey guys come on let's work work in our favor. I mean think
4: about it that's how it was for thousands of years, right? Like even if you had a home, even a hundred years ago, the the impulse would, first thing in the morning, you would get some sunlight. You'd walk out or you'd forage for some food or you, if you, even in the modern times until really recently where people go straight from say like a dark room into a car, into an office. I mean, this is just a new phenomenon, but our genes, our brains are wired to want to see sunlight in the morning.
3: Wow, so okay, interesting. So our circadian rhythm affects our hunger, and I know that you talk a lot about circadian fasting in the book, so what what is that specifically, and you also talk about how we can reset our own circadian fasting. This is something I know nothing about, so please explain. This is such a
4: powerful tool, so just like we said, get some sunlight in the morning. Food is another input for the body to know when it's day and night, so technically, for thousands of years, after dinner, after dark, you basically didn't eat. And it was a sign to our body, it's time to switch on the repair, the renewal processes. It's time to focus on something different than digestion, right? And that's beautiful because we need that repair and renewal. But what happened is all of a sudden, about seventy years ago, we got you know refrigerators, microwaves, Uber Eats, nighttime delivery, twenty-four hour drive-throughs, and all of a sudden, everyone's eating late into the night. And you see much of our population eating super late at night. I mean, there's really good data to show that the earlier you eat in the day, the better it is for your hormones, for your metabolism, for your hunger, for your cravings. And the later you eat in the day, especially late night, like I would say 10 p.m. or later, the worse it is for your hormones, for your metabolism, for your sleep quality, for your brain, all of it. And I think the studies are very clear that if you want to improve those things, start to fast, kind of, I call it circadian fasting, because like sink yourself up closer to the rhythms that were naturally built. So maybe you don't eat two to three hours before bed to kind of mimic that fasting of um, thousands thousands of years ago. And that's also the time where most of us are eating our worst
3: quality calories.
4: That's what I was just thinking. Yes. If you cut out that late night snacking, many things are going to improve.
3: I mean, it's so easy to throw on a movie you'd wanted to watch or your favorite show or what anything. And sometimes some of us have friends over to watch our favorite shows. And, you know, I know The Bachelor is a huge phenomenon and everyone watches it and people, you know, you pop popcorn and that seems like something that is so simple. Oh, we'll just pop some popcorn. It won't be an issue. It's not that unhealthy. But the idea is that then our circadian rhythms are off. So and it, you know, two to three hours before bed seems doable. But let's say one of us has an early morning and we're thinking, oh, we'll go to bed at 9.30, 10. Well, then that means we can't eat past 6.30. So that does feel actually quite difficult. But I can see how that's doable. And I have to tell you, uh, one thing that helps with that is having children because we eat so early. I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So we eat so early in our house and then we're full and then you just are so exhausted you end up falling asleep and it's not something you don't necessarily snack as much but it you know i can see in my earlier years how easy how much easier it was we would eat dinner at like 8:30 9 sometimes 10 after a workout the, all those things and then our circadian rhythms are completely off so when you say reset it does that just mean to begin to take our dinner time earlier? Mm -hmm.
5: Yeah, like
4: simple things like maybe you make a 12-hour break between food, so your nighttime meal and your daytime meal. So maybe you do 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. and really simple steps like that because I think people feel Really intimidated by the traditional intermittent fasting, like 16 hours, like you have to do it. And most people are like white knuckling it through their morning time because that's the time people think that they can eat late into the night and then they'll try to fast during the day, where it should be the opposite. You should, you can have a delayed breakfast. So, like, if you just say eight to eight or 8 to 9 a.m. or 7 to 9. That would be ideal because that would give you a 14-hour fast and you would basically still have breakfast. It would just be a slightly delayed version of it.
5: Hey,
3: guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: Small details or big surfaces?
3: And we're back the idea of fasting i think the word in itself is a neg- can be can have neg- negative connotations we we think of ourselves as starving all the time and like trying not to eat and like a, the famous quote from emily blunt in the devil wears prada where she's like every time i feel like i'm going to pass out i just eat a cube of cheese like that to me is my idea of fasting when that's not that's not reality that the idea of sleeping through the night and letting your body replenish and do its own thing that seems doable that is something that we can do but when we are hungry and we're we want to eat sometimes it's hard to know what foods are good enough to put into our bodies so I know you you have these super six foods that you recommend can you please list these and can we talk about it because I think sometimes the hardest decision when trying to be healthy is knowing what to put in our bodies
4: yeah I think it's almost like we're always told not to eat things right we see internet there's Nothing you can really eat that's like fits everyone's category. Uh, you know, there's that meme that shows like someone eating like ice for dinner, and they're like, Oh, this is and it's so true because you really start to take out whenever I talk about anything, people are like, but so and so said, you know, that's not good for you, right? Kale, spinach, you name it any health food, and people will say, Okay, that's not good for you. So what I focused on in the book is actually replenishing instead of talking about What we can't eat. Let's talk about what we should eat to crowd out. You know, when you're eating six superfoods a day, six types, you're going to have less room, uh, less need to have other things, anyways. So that's why I really go into all of them, is because I think that when people realize, hey, if I eat all these good foods, I'm just going to naturally, one, not crave bad foods because now I'm feeding my gut bacteria the things that it likes. And two, I'm focusing on the right things. I'm focusing on what's good for me, what's nourishing instead of being so confused with, you know, what we should stay away from. So one of the foods that I start with is glucosinolates. And it sounds like a fancy word, but glucosinolates is that group of broccoli, cauliflower, kale. There's a whole bunch of, there's lots of people who are like, but I can't do broccoli, but I can't do, you know, so glucosinolates is just, the name of the compound that's in these, that, these family of foods that actually is really beneficial for our gut bacteria. And the reason why I keep saying gut bacteria is because these creatures create cravings. They create mood altering chemicals like dopamine and serotonin, and they are hungry. They eat they love to eat glucosinolates. So glucosinolates is one of the main foods that I start with.
3: And so that's kale, that's broccoli, that's yeah, cauliflower, um, Cauliflower, which is interesting. Yeah. I always think of anything that's green as more nutritious, but there you yeah. go. Cauliflower so it has
4: that amazing compound. And then I'll give you a whole, I can give you a whole list if you want to. And that way everybody kind of has that idea of what, Glucosinolates is and how to you know add Perfect. them to their diet. no that's
3: great we'll have that in the show notes so everyone can access that and then you know they can know all of those but so that is glucosinolates sorry if I'm butchering the word is one of the six superfoods yes it's one so
4: what we did is we put categories. And the reason why we did categories is we think like, I always find that people are like, Oh, but I can't do, you know, this thing. And I can't do that thing. And I'm like, actually, all you have to do is have your body, like have incorporate one of the things in this superfood list and you're fine.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Which is doable. Great. And like some people, listen, some people don't like to eat kale and I get it. Like for the longest time, it was on the side of every buffet that you went to. So we get it, but... I'm one of the people that loves kale, but I don't know if cauliflower is one, one that's going to make it on my table very often. So it's nice that you put it in these categories for us and it is so much more doable.
4: It makes it doable. Yeah. Another category that we talk about, this is super interesting. That's why I'm bringing it up next, is dopamine supporting foods. So what we're talking about cravings, our cravings are coming from dopamine. Dopamine is a neurochemical that is the craving hormone. And so when you are craving cookies, when you're craving even things that aren't food, alcohol, gambling,
3: Instagram. Right. We t- we talk about that dopamine all the time with, with social media and, you know, wanting that dopamine hit. So people just hit on Instagram or TikTok or any of those and get that fix. So this is that, but with within our cravings within our food, correct? Yeah,
4: exactly. And so you want to have foods that actually raise your level of dopamine in in the blood so that way you can... Not have to create these other foods to fill, you know, to kind of release dopamine. Dopamine supporting foods uh, are things like high think foods with high protein. So think eggs, think yogurt, think cottage cheese, think tofu, think lean meats. These are all things that support dopamine. There's also certain fruits and vegetables like. Berries are a great um, dopamine, especially cherries in particular. There are some really, really great foods in there on that list that Uh, everybody can find nuts and seeds also support the dopamine production cycle. So you want to start to incorporate more of that. I actually tell people, hey, start your day, start your morning with a dopamine supporting food breakfast, because that's going to set your hunger and cravings and mood in the right direction.
3: Oh, that seems doable with eggs in there and berries. I think a lot of people tend to those foods in the morning.
4: You you don't want to have like a donut to start your day, not for many reasons, but one of them being that you're going to set off the sugar cycle and set off hunger and cravings, and you're going to be searching for dopamine in all the wrong
3: places. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so then those that's two of the six, correct. Yes. Okay. And then we
4: have the high fiber foods. So, you know, the foods that feed your gut bacteria are high fiber foods. These are in the old days, high fiber foods were easy to find because even whole grains and, you know, natural grains have fiber. Everything has fiber, fruits, vegetables, anything that doesn't have a label is what I think of as high fiber food, right? But in today's world, you can almost eat a fiberless diet. Ultra processed foods almost never have any fiber in them at all. And so you end up really shortchanging yourself with, you know, food that really is not helping your gut bacteria at all. Right.
3: Okay. Okay. That I mean that one I think we hear about a lot. You know, don't eat don't eat foods from a wrapper or in a in a little bag, that kind of thing.
4: Then there's fermented foods. Fermented foods are foods that have live bacteria in them. So this can be as easy as getting some yogurt, some kombucha, some kimchi, miso. You can get coconut kefir. You can, you know, there's like, so now, nowadays, there's actually a lot of choices for your probiotic foods. It's just a matter of like switching your mindset, because I think that if you don't know about that these categories you're not necessarily going to pick up a probiotic food just on your own you know that i think that's why we need these
3: reminders yeah kefir is not on my grocery list every week i can tell you that but maybe now it will be it's one of those things where if you can train yourself to continually crave these types of foods it's probably even better Okay, next one,
4: polyphenol-containing foods. So polyphenols are the brightly colored fruits and vegetables, but it's also like tea and dark chocolate. And so I think people love the polyphenol group because it's like the things that you really love that can be delicious like blueberries and dark chocolate and tea and coffee yes
3: you should have seen my face right as you said dark chocolate and tea and blueberries I was like oh thank god (laughs) I know my like I love polyphenols so for
4: me that category makes sense and you know nature's smart like these are natural foods really that create that dopamine response that make us feel good I give us serotonin and dopamine and they're also good for us. And so that makes sense. Whereas if the difference between that and ultra processed foods is that those ultra processed foods are engineered in a way to create a rush of dopamine serotonin and like those are not natural Na- like when we talk about nature's candy that's you know that's the stuff that has polyphenols whereas when you eat the ultra processed food it's literally giving you that but it's and it's giving you a like even a bigger burst like Twinkies and Doritos will give you even bigger burst than what blueberries or tea would do. But then on the flip side of it, you're really not getting any nutrition from that. So I think that's important to remember that these are nature's way of saying like, hey, eat these foods are going to make you feel good.
3: So you're saying I can have chocolate, I just can't have it. I have to have it three hours before bedtime. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Great. I actually have my last dark chocolate right after I eat dinner, so that I can, you know, Have that fast, but still
3: have a dessert. Okay, and so I think. Lastly, you had said it was omega three, correct? Yes, omega
4: three supporting food. So this is classically your fish, but also if you're vegan or vegetarian, it can be algae oil, it can be flaxseed, walnuts. These are all things that support. So omega threes are these magical compounds that we probably you've probably heard for like brain health, for weight loss, metabolism, but it's also really great for your hormones and your for your gut bacteria. And so that's category that you should be having every day. And when you eat these foods every day, you start to realize, oh, wow! in three days, five days, one week, your mood starts to change. You start to crave those foods. It's almost like a self-perpetuating cycle where as you start to eat more of them, you start to crave them.
3: Mm. And so now that we know what we should be eating, I just want to talk about the different types of eating, because this is something you have in your book as well. You talk about unlearned eating and how that is different from intuitive eating. So can you take our listeners through that? I think this is really important.
4: Yeah. So when people hear the term intuitive eating, right, a lot of us lay people who don't know the actual definition, we think well, we should just eat what we're craving right now. Our body is telling us to drive across town and eat that cupcake, right? Go go get that ice cream. And what I realize is that, I know that's not the real term of intuitive eating, but we live in this world where our intuition has been hijacked. And now we have to learn how to not only, you know, get those voices out of our head, And then, then tune in to our inner, you know, inner signals. And so, what I warned people about is that as a doctor, or as like people would come to me and say, like, oh, I'm, you know, if my intuition tells me to eat something, I do. And that's great. Like, of course, we don't want to live in diet culture. We don't want anybody else to be telling us what we should eat or what we shouldn't eat, what's right for you, what's wrong for you. But to think that our neural pathways have not been hijacked by big, industry is nice. We have to learn that, Hey, you know, when you were seven and you went to the baseball game with your parents and you had such a great time and you had the hot dog and the, and the Doritos and the Coke. And now when you create, when you go and have a fun time, you create those foods because that neural pathway is set from when you were a kid. And that's not necessarily a good intuition because you don't really want to be reaching for that. Even in times of celebration, Um, you kind of want to unlearn
3: those bad habits. That's such an interesting mentality. I've never realized that we associate foods with experience and how, you know, having a lick of that ice cream cone does take you back to the summertime when you were a little kid and you were worry-free. So that makes so much sense how we have to retrain our brain to realize that having those blueberries, it can also remind us of summertime and barefoot and being happy or that was just an example. That was a very lame example, but you know what I mean.
4: Yeah, no, but I, me say, like, I think about it myself. And there was a long time that I had this association with Kit Kats because I thought, you know, when I was really wanted to celebrate, I really felt good. It reminded me of my childhood when I would get that as a reward. And I realized, oh, it's not the Kit Kat. It's like that memory of the Kit Kat, that experience that I used to have with it. And I had to unlearn that. I had to say to myself, you know what? I can now use something really healthy and positive instead of that Kit Kat.
3: Mm, That's so important to learn. That's such a wonderful thing to take away from this conversation. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. we're back. I also really want to address sleep because this is something that you write about a lot. And you talk a lot about these proven sleep habits by the U.S. military. So take us through that because and also a quick sleep technique, which I can use because there are times when I wake up at night with my baby, I get him back down to sleep and then I'm wide awake and I can't go back to sleep. So I need these sleep techniques. Please help. Oh, my God. Okay, so
4: 100% I know the feeling of when you have a young child and it's like mom instinct. You hear the slightest noise, you wake up and then now you're like alert and awake for a long time. What a lot of us do in the middle of the night, first of all, is we look at our phones. We um, turn on bright lights or we'll um, pretend like you will act like it's daytime. You'll eat a snack. You'll You'll wake up. You'll watch a show. You, you know, all these things are signals to our brain that it's time to wake up. And then you wonder why it's so hard to fall asleep. So because one bout of blue light, a, like, a, you know, is setting your melatonin back by 90 minutes.
3: Is that true? One, one bout of blue light. So we just pick up our phone for a second to check the time, to check the security camera, to check anything.
4: You know, you, when you look at your phone in the middle of the night, did you ever notice that it's so hard to fall asleep. Of course. After that. I just and, didn't
3: realize is it 90 minutes that it sets us back typically? Wow.
4: Wow. So if you look, if Okay, so I will say if you wake up in the middle of the night as much as you can, keep it dark, keep it quiet, keep it, you know, don't look at your phone, don't look at the clock, don't look at like uh, bright lights, like just keep it dark, keep it quiet, keep it, um, you don't want your cortisol and your norepinephrine and your adrenaline to be running through your veins, right? So that's your best chance of being able to kind of relax
3: and fall back asleep. Okay, and what's the quick sleep technique? Yes, okay.
4: So, in the military, they realized, you know, a lot of that sleep was so important in mental sharpness and their ability to function the next day. But a lot of times they would be in the field or they would be surrounded by noises and distractions. And so, there is a sleep technique that the military developed that helps you fall asleep within two minutes of doing it. Now, it takes some practice. And what happens is, Uh, that, you know, just like the military, you know, moms or parents, they have lots of emergencies that are going on around them. So it's really difficult to fall asleep. So it's basically using a combination of relaxation and imagery. So be uh, like, okay, I'll give you like a short version of it. Basically you do your sleep hygiene, which is, you know, you don't eat Two to three hours before bed, you have your lights turned down, your temperature is at 68 or really chilly in your room. And then you start relaxing your body one by one. So you want to take your mind off of all your to do lists and you want to start to relax your body from head to toe. So you start at your forehead, and then your jaw, and then your neck, and then your shoulders, and then, you know, go all the way down, all the way up, relax your body in sequence. um, And that's the first step. And then the second one is like, second step is like clear your mind of everything you're thinking about again, which, you know, you keep having to do, because I think a lot of people go back to your to-do list um, after, and then you do some mental imagery. Like there's like, either you're on a hammock or you're floating in the middle of the ocean and you start, And you also start to imagine that and keep out all the thoughts from your brain. You're really just focusing on the image and you're taking some slow, deep breaths and a longer exhale than an inhale. And basically, that's the second part of the relaxation technique. And once you do those deep breaths a few times around, you should be at your like two minute mark and you fall asleep. So the magic of falling asleep is slowing down your heart rate and dropping your core body temperature and keeping your brain out of the frontal lobe. Our frontal lobe is our emotional center. So when you think about something really sad or super exciting or the frontal lobe is the worry center. That's the to-do list. So what we're trying to do with this technique is take you out of your frontal lobe and just bring you back to your breathing centers, to the, the calming centers of your brain. So imagining that's why the image of you know floating or on a hammock or on the top of a, a green mountain really works well because we're trying to get you away from your worry centers and into your relaxation centers. That's what needs to activate.
3: And I want to talk for a minute about exercise and just getting the body moving and working out for the health of our body, not necessarily for a specific body type, the, the mentality that it takes to do that, and then how the timing of our workouts can affect our hunger and sleep so that this all ties in together. Yes. So working out is your best probiotic. So if you're trying to
4: improve your gut health, People don't realize like when you work out, your gut bacteria gets super happy and release these anti-inflammatory chemicals called butyrate. It's like a short chain fatty acid which goes to your brain, makes you happy, calms the inflammation in your whole body. It's the best way. It's any kind of movement, especially nature-based movement, gives you that boost. Okay. So I always say any type of exercise is great for you. Any movement is great for you. And you should aim for 20, to 30 minutes a day, every single day. And it depends on your personality. It I give a lot of options in the book about which exercise might be best for you. You know, whether you want to boost your dopamine or you want to boost your GABA relaxation, you want to boost your, you know, depending on your personality, as you know, and I know what is really great workout for you may not be for me, vice versa. And I always say the basis of everything should be daily movement, like going for walks, walking as much as possible, getting that outdoor sun. I mean, that is something that I think should be a non-negotiable. When I started to do that, everything started to get better. My health, my mental health, my physical health. I think it's something that type of exercise is just magical.
3: Mm, That's so nice. It's so nice to know because that's something that every single one of us can do just just walking in general and that's and even just starting by walking that having a larger goal could could happen as well so i think these conversations are really difficult to have sometimes i think you know obviously you started by having that these conversations with your patients and you realized that there needed to be book out there for all of us to access to know this information and it's also really hard to have these conversations with our family and our friends and our loved ones and it got me thinking about your family life growing up and what was the the dynamic within your house. Did you guys talk about this a lot? Did your parents talk about this a lot? We talked about health
4: so much as a child because unfortunately, my parents, when they got the opportunity to come to America... Um, a few years after that, they got the bad diagnosis, the kind of curse of our family. And it was the diagnosis of type two diabetes. And that was something that they didn't know much about, except that it literally took the lives of every single person in my family. And at the time when my father was diagnosed, all five of his brothers and his mother were diagnosed and his father had just passed away from diabetes complications. So it was literally like a huge hit to our family because they had worked so hard to come to this country and they're working two jobs. And then now they found out that, you know, they had this at that time, especially, it was really considered uncurable. There was nothing you know there was something about their diet and exercise and lifestyle that was causing it. And so there's a lot of conversation in fact that was the conversations that led me to pursue nutrition as an undergrad and then to go to medical school to really understand how food's really affecting the body because you know that was the problem with our family there was something about the food something about the metabolism that was going haywire. And so I realized not only did it changed the way i you know studied it also taught me a lot because through my own journey with nutrition i realized wow there are things that are making me really tired really burned out really angry having my hormones getting completely imbalanced and at that time i couldn't you know nobody really talked about food as a way to make yourself feel more energetic or balance your hormones or anything like that so i discovered through my own journey like wow Gut health really plays into hormone health. Nutrition can help all of this. And so this was kind of a theme in my life is like really figuring out how food affects your body.
3: Right. It's all cyclical. That's such a fascinating story. So then now that you win and you studied, do you feel like you're able to break that cycle?
4: Yeah, I think honestly, I honestly feel like if you know this information, like I learned this information, That you can save yourself from both disease and mental health issues, from hormone imbalance, from fatigue. Like, you know how they say, save yourself? Like, there's no one coming to save you. There's no pill, there's no device, there's no person. You can save yourself. That's how I feel about this information. Like, you learn this and you can save yourself. So that's why I feel so passionate about it and had to share because I think women, especially, we're left to our own devices. Like, We don't even get any instruction about how, as we're getting older, like how we're supposed to be eating, how we're supposed to be living. And it's like, you're expected to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to balance everything, but no one's telling you tools to do it.
3: So true. Well, you are. So thank you. And that's what this book is doing. And not only are you saving yourself, but you've shown an example of stopping a cycle and then being able to save the future of your your genealogy, your family. And that's an incredible thing. So thank you so much for all that you've shared with us. And, you know, I think it's really important that especially in the beginning of the year, so many of us have these goals and it's important to have the right goals and to set them correctly and to know that we're doing the right. So effing hungry, your book does that. And I'm so grateful. You know, we have a lot of younger listeners on our podcast. I'm wondering if there's any last tidbit you want to leave them with when it comes to growth and health and that word diet?
4: Yeah. I think just learn that there's no diet, there's no pill, there's no person, there's no new technique. Everyone thinks that there is some secret, some savior, some, you know, Prince Charming on the white horse. And that's what these diet plans offer you, right? Like they promise that we're going to save everything. And what I learned the hard way and I wish I knew earlier is that you're not missing the secret. You're not missing the pill, the injection, the tool, the doctor, all you need to listen to is yourself, like learn how to manage your emotions, how to manage your cravings, how to manage your body and your mind, and you can save yourself.
3: I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy Shaw. We are so grateful that you joined us today. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. You know, I wanted to do an episode like this with Dr. Amy Shaw so that we can understand it's important to have health a goal in our life. But it's also important to understand that we can reframe our brain and we can stop the old patterns. We can figure out how to find the balance between nutrition and eating for joy. I love so much how now we understand how to reset our circadian rhythms. And it is something as simple as just eating earlier and letting our body begin its rest period earlier. And the super six foods are so important. I'm so glad I know now what to put on the table, what to eat and how to just step outside in the sunlight for just a few minutes in the morning and how that will help my body and my cells. So I hope you guys have taken away as much as I have from my conversation with Dr. Amy Shaw We have another great episode coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.